0: The Lord, Jesus is the center of it all. I love that song. Let's lift our hearts to to the Lord. Thank you, Father, so much for Jesus. Thank you for all He means to all of us. Thank you for the work that He accomplished on the cross. We pray that today our hearts would be receptive to the Word, and that the Word would bring fruit into all of our lives. Bless the pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Claude. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. Did anybody know that already? How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Okay, a bunch. Good. All right. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't start until 530, so you have time to sign up for life groups and come to 101, okay? Just so you know. It, you got some time. Um, today, the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos face off against each other on the gridiron to see who gets the bragging rights as the 2014 Super Bowl champion. Today, 22 men will take the field, the field of battle. They'll strap on their helmets, their shoulder pads, their cleats. They'll run out onto the field. And while 22 men are on the field, 110 million men, women, and children will be off the field watching from their hotel rooms and their homes and sports bars all over the world. So while 22 men put their life on the line on the field, the rest of us will be increasing the line around our bodies by eating buffalo wings, hot dogs, chili, of course toasted ravioli if you're in St. Louis, and mounds and mounds of potato chips. Uh, This is a little interesting factoid that I just I had to share with you today collectively we will consume 28 million pounds of potato chips 28 million pounds of crispy fried potatoes in fact if you laid the potato chips that we are going to eat today end to end and I don't know why you would do this but if you did it would stretch 293,000 miles that's a fact. Here's another fact, because I did some of my own calculations, 293,000 miles. That means you could make a line of crispy, starchy goodness from the earth all the way to the moon and then wrap those potato chips around the moon eight times. That's 293,000 miles. Bob, you got your calculator out. I can see you doing some calculations. (laughs) Yeah, a little fact checking going on. Uh, the question arises, why are we so interested in this game? Why are we interested in contests of will that require strength and skill and discipline and focus? Why do 110 million people tune in to this event? And here's, my, here's what I'd like to submit to you this morning for your consideration. I would submit that buried down in the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this auditorium is the God-given impulse To get out of your house, to get out of your church, to get out of your comfort zone and to put yourself to the test. All of us have this innate desire to take a risk and to see what we're made of because God did not build us to be bench warmers. He didn't design us to be sideliners. We're not born to be bystanders. We're made to get in the game. That's how we're built. Now, during my freshman year at Pattonville High School, um, I tried out for the football team, and I actually made the football team, okay? So I was actually on the football team. Now, when I say that I was on the football team, what that means is I got to wear a helmet, I got to wear shoulder pads, I got to wear cleats, I got to go to practice where bigger, meaner, stronger, uglier guys ran over me repeatedly. Um, I didn't actually get to play in any games, actual games, but I was on the team. And my coach, Coach Olderman, great guy, I think he felt sorry for me because he would do this repeatedly in games. I would be in a game. I would be on the bench, which I had I'd got my own little spot on the bench. It was very warm. Uh, and Coach Olderman would say, Rome, put on your helmet. Come over here. And I would think, man, he's going to put me in the game. So I'd put on my helmet, and I'd come right behind Coach Olderman. And then Coach Olderman, would, he would pace up and down the sidelines and everything, and I was like right behind him just – just just dying to get put in the game. But Coach Olderman's better judgment always won out. And so he never actually put me in the game. He kept me on the sidelines, which is where I needed to be. And that's really where the team needed me to be, actually. Um, I remember at the end of the year, he very generously acted as if he was disappointed when I said, hey, Coach, I'm not going to be coming out for football next year. And he's like, man, I'm really sorry to hear that, you know. Um, it was just that... Being that close to the game, but not actually being able to get in it, it was just, it caused all kinds of tension for me. I was restless. I wanted to, I wanted to dive in. And I think that that restlessness, that eagerness, that hunger is embedded in the hearts of every man, woman, and child. Every person today, football's probably, may not be your game. It wasn't mine, but all of us have strengths that are down inside of us that want to come out. They're not there to be buried. They're not there to be stifled. They're not there to be hidden. They're there to be developed and honed and practiced and strengthened so that each and every single one of us can bring glory to God through the gifts that he bequeathed to us. That's why we have them. Amen. My wife is down there clapping. Amen, baby. She, I preached this sermon to her last night, so she knows all everything that's coming. <laughs> Listen to this story that Jesus told about getting out. So in Matthew, he says, for the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one of his servants, he gave five talents to another, two talents to another one to each servant, according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once immediately and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he went out in the marketplace, started making trades. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. He also went out in the marketplace, started making trades, made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now this story is popularly known as the parable of the talents. But I would like to retitle this parable today as three totally broke dudes win the lottery. Okay. Um, And the reason is this, because all three of these guys were bond servants. And bond servants in the first century Israel, what that meant was in in first century Israel, there was no governmental safety net. There was no Medicare. There was no Medicaid. There was no public aid. And so a person who had no means or very limited means, they would bond themselves to a, a person of wealth for a particular span of time. And then they would work for that person, and that person would clothe them and feed them and shelter them and uh, train them. And then when the period of the bond was over, then that person could leave and and start a new life. So in this case, these three servants that we're hearing about in this parable, they had no property, they had no money, they had no wealth, they had no family, they had had nothing to turn back on. uh, And everything that they had, where they lived, everything was a gift to them from the, from the master, from the Lord. And then here's another thing that we know, that the word talent in this story, when it's talking about one talent, five talents, talent in this story refers to a specific denomination of money. So in first, first century Israel, this, this was, actually this was the largest denomination of money. And one talent was worth 6,000 denarii, okay? And a denarius, we learned this from one of Jesus' other parables, a denarius was a denomination of money, and that meant one day's worth of of labor. For, like, an average labor, that's what he made in a day, a denarius. So I tried to do some math. So I called uh, um, our general contractor in this uh, congregation, Fred Lang, and I said, Fred, what does an average laborer make, okay? It's because I want to do some good calculations. Bob, you need to get your calculator back out for this, okay? So Fred said between $12 and $15 for a non-union laborer an, an hour. So if you take tw- – let's do the – we'll do conservative, okay? $12 an hour times eight hours, that's $96 a day. $96 a day is a denarius, okay? The first guy got a talent, which is 6,000 denarius. So for the so first guy got $96 times 6,000. That's $576,000, that's a little over half a million, right? The first servant got a little over half a million. The second servant got five talents. So that's three million. The third servant. No, he got two talents. That's five million, three million. Man, I told you math is like I, I and I had this so mapped out. This just flowed last night, didn't it, babe? Um, the The third guy got six million dollars. So right off the bat. These three broke guys got more money than they had ever seen in their entire life. So we start the story with a very generous Lord. This, is, this Lord in the story is, is inviting these three servants to enter into a profit-sharing venture where... They, they're going to take this money, and they're going to do with it what he would do with it, and they're going to share in the profits. That's the premise of the story that Jesus told. So these guys, essentially, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. They just won the lottery, okay? Now, we're going to stop the story for a minute, and I want to ask you to put yourself in the story. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are the gifts that you have? And I'm going to write these down because I think we can if we do a little analysis, we can we can all say that we've got some gifts. Question number one. Are you alive today? Anybody? Yes. All right. So I'm going to write down these are some gifts. One. Life. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to merit it. You didn't have anything to do with it at all, actually. God bequeathed that gift to you. That's a gift. You know, the, the, the preacher says, uh, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose, right? If you ain't dead, then you ain't done. Okay. You can delete that, Sean. That's very corny, but I just, I, I, I love it. Okay. So all of us have life. All of us have some kind of skills or abilities. All right skills or abilities you're good with babies you're good with math so some of us some of us um you know you're good maybe you're a good communicator you're gifted organizationally you're gifted musically you're good at fixing things in which case you're invited to my house immediately after service um maybe you're a funny person maybe you're a person who is really generous with people that aren't funny uh you know they give courtesy laughs um not a lot of those people in the congregation today But um, all of us have some kind of skill or talent, and that is a gift. Now, Jesus said he gave each of them according to his ability. So that means we're not all the same. We're not all gifted the same. We're not all going to get the same gifts and the same talents. But everyone is gifted. Some of you have been gifted the gift of a good family. Okay? That is a gift. Some of you, a good education. That's a gift. Some of you are good spellers. (laughs) That's me. Um, That's a gift. All of these things, some of you have been blessed financially, and you may be tempted to say, well, you know what? That's not a gift. That's all me. But really, the, the business acumen, your intelligence, your ability to network with people, your ability to, you know, organize things, that was somewhere in you a raw gift that you developed. But somewhere at the beginning, that was a gift. So we're all gifted in some respects financially. By comparison, Uh, so all of us are gifted. All right. So that's the premise here is that we're all gifted. Now, in addition to counting these obvious blessings, I would recommend that we also count our battles, the things that we have gone through that don't seem to be a gift, but that at the end of the day, we have taken them, and they've strengthened us, and they've made us into better men and women. All of us have lost. All of us have struggled. All of us have failed. Thomas Edison famously said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. So we've all struggled with failure. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've struggled with an addiction, maybe a depression, maybe poverty, maybe uh, uh, people have scorned you or laughed at you or mocked you, ridicule sickness, ill health, whatever it is, whatever you've been through, God likes to use our wounds and our weaknesses to demonstrate his power and his mercy. He does it all the time. Every time you meet someone who is just charging on all cylinders, you start drilling down on the story of their life and you're going to see that there was some pain or some wound or something that they're addressing in their gifting. All right. So if you have struggled and you've been in a battle, and you're still alive, that's a gift. So I'm going to write down battles. Our battles are gifts. I really should be doing X's and O's, you know, because it's a football theme, but that's too, way too complicated. Um, if you're a believer, then you've been given the gift of eternal life. Your sins have been washed away. Your past has been buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness, and that is, amen, a gift. So we're all gifted... In some respects, all of us have gifts. Now, when I was reading the passage, one thing I wondered was, why did this Lord give so much money to these three servants? And in the passage, we actually see the answer. The Lord trusted these guys. He trusted them. If you look at just the first verse, it says, For the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and it says he entrusted them, To his property. He gave them to. He gave them his property. And he anticipated. And expected. That they would use his money. In a way that was commensurate with his desires. He expected that they would take his money. And they would do with it. What he would have done with it. If he was still there. If he hadn't gone on the journey. He trusted them to manage. His money in a way that would benefit him. And benefit them. So let's apply this principle to your life and my life. Now, this is a radical concept. It, we, we hear it often and it may sound cliche, but listen to this because this will transform your life if you really grasp this. Okay. Here's the principle. Your brains, your talents, your skills, your money, your experiences, your health, your property, your body, your personality, everything that you have doesn't actually belong to you. It's not actually yours to do with whatever you want. It is bequeathed to you by God, and you are the manager of these gifts that he has extended to you. That is radical, and and, and, and one day it'll sink into each and every one of you, and you'll go, wow. And and actually, this concept was very useful for me when we planted the church because, you know, I I was sort of aggressively— touching everything and wanted everything to be, you know, exactly the way that it should be. Right. And I was getting a bit, um, you know, overbearing um, would be the word, I think. And I remember I was driving and in my heart, it was as, as if God was saying to me, hey, man, this is not your thing. You know, you, you, you don't own this. I'm, you're managing this for me. But this isn't I've got this. I've got this covered. You're the manager. I'm the owner. And that's, that's the way it is with each and every aspect of our lives. Everything that we have, we're managing it. Even our own personality, even our own intelligence, our own education, everything. We're managing this for the master of our life. Amen? So don't screw it up. Um, have you ever been entrusted with something that you're, you're not quite sure why someone entrusted you with it? I had a, I had a boss. <laughs> There's some deep laughter on that one. I had a boss... One time when I lived in L.A., he was a TV writer. His name was Dan Pine. And Dan Pine had a 1969 silver convertible Porsche 911. This thing was, like, amazing, exquisite. And one day, out of the blue, Dan Pine says, Hey, Brent, I want you to take my car over to La Cienega. Go get it, you know, uh, go get it serviced. And then just go ahead and take it up to my house up on Mulholland Drive, and you know what, take your time, just take the afternoon, um, and I'll just send up another assistant to come and get you. And I'm like, really? You're going to give me your car for the whole afternoon, this, this, this 1969 Porsche? Okay. Um, so I'll just leave my Ford Festiva in the parking lot, because that's, I mean, that's fine. Take care of it, and uh, don't mess with it, Dan. Um, And I actually, I did, I did take care of the car. There is a little bit of extra rubber up on Mulholland Drive that I may have laid there, but that actually helps, helps the roadway. So I do my part. Um, All right, so let's get back to the story. Here's the part that I found surprising in the story, especially since there's so much money involved. The Lord in the story did not give explicit directions to the servants. He didn't tell them what to do. In um, in, uh, verse 15, watch what he does. It says to one he gave 5 talents, to another 2, to another 1, to each according to his ability. The next sentence says, then he went away. That's it. Here you go. See you later. How many times have your boss has your boss given you 6 million bucks and said, knock yourself out, I'm going on a trip. I'll catch you later, right? It doesn't happen. But in the story the Lord did this. There were no instructions. There was no manual. There was no, there was no bullet points. He said, here's what I'm giving you. I trust you with it. Do with it. What, what you would think that I would do with it. Um, and that I think is in in some ways parallels our life. We have the Bible and we have the scripture and that helps us know who God is and who he is and, and who we are, but he doesn't give us explicit instructions about what to do with our life. What he has given us is brains and creativity and desires and interests and circumstances and a church and a a will so that each and every one of us can use our creativity and our initiative and our intelligence to think, to dream, to create, to risk, to try, to fail, to go out, to get advice, to get insight, to get input, to get wisdom, to try again, to succeed, to bring him honor, to bring him glory. That's what he's called us to do. And it doesn't matter if we fail; it just matters if we try. You remember the, the the phrase from Dead Poets Society: "Carpe diem." The two servants, the first two servants, seized the day. The story says they immediately went out and started trading, started trying to double their money. They 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 were using every bit of their skill, every bit of their of their intelligence. They were working day and night, and they were trying to earn a profit. For their master. And the story says they doubled their money. Both of them. But the third servant. He literally went into the backyard. Dug a hole. And put half a million dollars. Into the hole. (laughs) And tamped it down. And went back to bed. That's what he did. So while the two servants were getting up early. Every day and going out. and, And working and making this happen. One servant was waking up. Looking out the back window saying. Yep, it's still there, and going back to bed. And we know people like this, gifted, but no initiative, capable, but not interested, leading a life of unrealized potential. We know, we know this, and we know this in our own hearts. There are gifts that we're just not opening up, and we're not honing, and we're not developing. I read a, a story this week, a news story that was actually very tragic. It was a story about a guy Uh, In D.C., 77-year-old man, you may have read this, 77-year-old man, he was outside of a computer store with his daughter, and he suffered a heart attack and went down, fell down onto the ground. And there were several people around, uh, and there was one glimmer of hope. The glimmer of hope was right across the street there was a fire department, and there were firefighters in the department. So a bunch of the witnesses ran across the street and started telling the firefighters, hey, this man just had a heart attack. Please come and help. And the response that these guys got from the firefighters were, well, actually, we can't do that because we've not been dispatched. And so finally, the daughter of the man who, who had the heart attack ran across the street to the fire department, and she said, are you going to help me or are you going to let my dad die? And the man who was literally leaning against the fire truck said, you've got to call 911 because we haven't been dispatched. And so their father died, the, the father died on the street. And, and it's a big issue now in D.C. And the, and the mayor and everybody's looking into this. But sometimes it's not a sin of commission that we commit. It's not something that we do. It's something that we don't do. It's a sin of omission. Right. Sometimes it's not that we're doing something wrong. It's that we're not doing something right. You know, James says to him that knows Apostle James, those who know to do good and do it not to them, it is sin. So the the third servant, that was his his issue. He wasn't guilty of a sin of commission. It wasn't like he was stealing the money. He didn't commit fraud or blackmail or extortion or, or he didn't bamboozle anybody. He didn't do anything bad with the money. He just didn't do anything with the money. Aristotle says there is only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. The third servant took a seat warming the bench, and he liked it. So I want to challenge you today. You ready for your challenge? Team. Take what God has given you and run with it as hard as you can. Make the most of the gifts God has given you. Now, some of you may say, look, I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to start. Start right where you're at. Start right here. You can join a a, a life group. You can join Kirk Williams' life group and go help mentor young kids in University City. You can join Shante uh, McCall's life group. It's a community outreach life group, and they go out and they uh, help the people in our community. You can join any of our life groups and start to serve one another, love one another. Um, You can join. You can go do the growth track and see what God has in store for you, what you're gifted with. There are so many things that you can do right here and right now, you can join the dream team. Amen, dream teamers. You can, you can start building up the body of Christ. Join the sound team or the welcome team or the prayer team or the growth track team or children's team or setup team or any of these teams. And start putting your gifts to work. And if you don't have time to do, then give. And I want to give you some, a good report, okay? Okay. In 2013, the the numbers are final. In 2013, thanks to your generosity, our church gave over $22,000 to other nonprofits, missions organizations, and a benevolence fund to help those in need. I think that's pretty good for two years. That's you guys. That's what you're doing. We fed and clothed hundreds of people this year. We provided mentoring, discipleship training, life skills training, emergency daycare, we, we preach the gospel to university campuses and students and faculties, transforming and empowering hundreds of people, men, women, and children, all because you gave. So if you have a ministry in your heart, if you've got something in your heart that you say, I want to do something for God, or if you see a need in your community, in our community that you think you can fill, I want to encourage you today. This church is about empowerment. Come to us. Let me know what, what it is, and we will do everything in our power to empower you to go out and do what God has called you to do. That's what we're about. We're not about this is the huddle. That's the game. Okay, so we're not here to come and, in, and, and just enjoy one another. We're here to get strength and encouragement to go out and win the battle. Amen? Okay. Now, I'm just going to tell you the end of I'm not going to read you the whole end of the parable, so here's what happens the Lord comes back after being away on a long journey and he comes to subtle his accounts. And the first guy says, uh, Lord, you know, you gave me five talents and I went out and made five talents more. And the, and the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant come into, uh, in, into my love. And he says, um, uh, you've been faithful over a little bit. I mean, 6 million is, I mean, it seems a lot, but he said, you've been faithful over a little bit. I'm going to make you uh, responsible for much more. And the second one, same way, came in and he said, you gave me two talents. I'm giving you two more. And the Lord said, well done. Same thing. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over, over much more. And then the third servant came, and this didn't go so well. The third servant came, and he said, look, I knew you were a hard man, and I know I, I knew that, uh, you know, you reap where you haven't sown. And and I just what I did was I just took what you gave me and I buried it. Uh, and here it is right back. And Jesus reserves some pretty harsh words for this guy. And he says, you lazy servant, you slothful servant, you wicked servant, he calls him. He said, the least you could have done was to take my money to the bank and let me earn some interest on it. But you just buried it. He said, let me take this talent from this guy and give it to the one who earned 10. Okay. He was ticked. He was ticked. And the reason is not because The guy tried and failed. It's not because the servant risked and flopped. It's not because he lost the money. It's because he didn't even try. He didn't do anything. He didn't bother to take the half million to the bank and just earn a basic rate of return. He said he was afraid. And I want to ask you, are you afraid today? Are you afraid to step out and do the things that God has called you to do and be the things that God has called you to be? That's the question you just have to ask yourself. Is this a heavy sermon? I mean, it's, it's, it's intense, right? But it's, it's, the, it's the gospel. Jesus is saying, I've given you so much, I want you to take it out there and do it. Um, David Bernard, who's the owner of Worldwide Technology, says, anytime you get outside of your comfort zone, the elements of fear begin to creep in, which dampens your faith. He said, fear is just the opposite of faith, because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith requires people to change because we have been taught to believe only in what we see. So let me ask you, have you tried something before and failed and messed up and screwed up in some way in your life? And so you maybe dug a little hole and kind of buried yourself in that hole and just gotten in a rut. My new hero, John Ortberg, quotes a guy named Mike Bro. And he says, and I love this quote. It's long, but it's good. Okay. He says, we have a very telling phrase for what life can sink into. We call it the same old, same old. He said, day after day, after day, after day, you wake up at the same old time, get out of the same old bed, go to the same old bathroom, look in the same old mirror, shave the same old face. Take the same old shower, dry off with the same old towel, walk into the same old kitchen, pour the same old cereal into the same old bowl, kiss the same old wife on the same old cheek, get in the same old car, drive off to the same old job, sit in the same old chair, listen to the same old boss tell the same old jokes, laugh in the same old way, clock out at the same old time, get back in the same old car, drive down the same old road to the same old house with the same old door, eat the same old dinner, fall asleep in the same old chair, watching the same old news, get up, get in the same old bed ask your wife the same old question, get the same old answer, roll over, go back to sleep. And that's it from one day to the next. <laughs> I'm not interested in the same old, same old man. Are you? <laughs> Thank you, Mike, bro. Whoever you are. I'm not interested in the same old, same old, and I know you're not either. I want to take a risk. I want to fight for what is right. I want to do something of real and lasting value. I want to give my soul, mind, and body to the gospel of Jesus. I want to bring news to the, good news to the poor. I want to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I want to comfort those who mourn. I want to bring them beauty. For ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness. I want to empower men, women and children of our community with the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to do that? I want to do that. Every single one of us is is his bond servant. Everything we have and everything we are belong to him. And on top of that, by his immeasurable grace, he made us his children and he entrusted us. With his mission, his gospel, his message, his love to you and me. And he expects that we would use these gifts in a way that's commensurate with his desire. Most importantly, he is our father. And I want to make my father look good. The scripture says that it makes him look good when we aid the broken and wounded and the alienated. It makes him look good when we bring his gospel to our community and they accept him and their lives are transformed. It makes him look good when we fight for justice, when we fight poverty and racism and disease. It makes him look good when we love and take care of each other. It makes him look good when we sacrifice and when we obey his commandments and when we do our best and when we risk. It makes him look good. And, of course, the secret is that when we serve him with our heart, soul, minds, and bodies, we also experience a radical sense of joy in our lives as well. It changes us. John A. Shedd says a ship and harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. So today, after you go home and, well, let me back up, after you join a life group, And then go to 101 and then go home and watch the game and eat some buffalo wings and eat some chips. Lie down in bed and think about this. Think about this statement. I'm on a mission. I am on a mission. And then get some rest because the huddle is about to end and the game has just begun. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you, God, for putting us on a mission. We thank you for calling us to a mission with our lives. Every single one of us is gifted in ways that maybe we haven't even explored yet. Maybe we don't even know some of the ways that we're gifted, God. And we ask that you would reveal those to us today. And then, God, give us the strength, give us the courage to go out and and do what you've called us to do. Maybe it's just incremental ways. Maybe it's just treating our husband or our wife a little better, for starters. Maybe it's treating our friends, our colleagues, our professors, maybe just being a little more thoughtful to them and sharing the love of Christ in our deeds and our words. Maybe it is doing something more dramatic, getting involved in a community outreach project. Maybe it is starting a ministry. Whatever it is, God, give us the strength and the courage to do this today, step by step. We know that we're capable of more than what we've been able to do and what we've been able to give. And and we don't do it, Lord, just to, to win your favor. It's not about that. It's about doing it out of gratitude from our hearts for the gifts that you've given us. And help those of us who are experiencing all of this for the first time, God, to know the joy and the excitement and the fulfillment that comes When we serve you, we thank you, Lord, for all of this. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen.